Good morning, Mr. Foster. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm doing great. Welcome to the Attention Now podcast. Uh, we talk to successful business people, provide quality content, and uh, uh, you know, just uh, just excited to have you on the show today. Uh, you're a legend with uh, with your Reebok brand. I remember wearing your gym shoes back in the 70s and 80s. They were like the most popular shoes ever. Uh, and remember the logo distinctly, one of the best logos I've ever seen. So uh, honored to have you on here. Uh, grateful to JT Fox for the introduction. And uh, just wanted to find out a little bit about when you started the company. And I uh, wanted to find out uh, also what decade you had the biggest growth in. What decade we had the biggest growth in? Well, I guess that was the uh, the 80s where we had our biggest growth. The 80s, okay. The Perfect. 80s when, when we... Uh, when we found aerobics, when we uh, found that nice white space called aerobics and we became, we were a nice running company until then, but uh, we we just pivoted into becoming a woman's company. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and how how did you find that market? Well, how did you, how were you able to capture or get that niche in the market? Well, luckily, um, two or three years earlier, we'd, made our entry into the uh, American market as a running company. And uh, down in Los Angeles, we, we had a tech rep and it's called Arnold Martinez. And this is where aerobics started. Aerobics sort of started away there in, uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, Arnold's wife was going to these classes and coming back home with her friends and they were just full of it. They were loving it. So Arnold said, Frankie, what are you doing? And she said, we're doing aerobics. Of course, nobody knew what aerobics was. So Arnold said, okay, what's aerobics? And she said, well, we're, we're actually exercising to music. Oh, right. So uh, Arnold suggested he went down to the next class to see what all this was about, which he did. And... Uh, he found the instructor wearing a pair of sneakers. Half the class, they were also wearing sneakers. The other half, no footwear at all. So uh, I guess he he had this vision, this light bulb moment when uh, he thought, hmm, why don't we make a shoe specially for aerobics, especially okay. for women? Make it in women's sizes on a woman's last a nice white, soft glove leather upper and a cushion sole. And uh, having had this thought, he's in Los Angeles. Our CEO for the American business was in Boston. So he took an overnight flight up to see Paul Feynman and suggest to him we get involved in aerobics. <laughs> and Paul was not uh, too receptive. I could imagine. Paul said, Paul said, come on, slow down. Well, we're a running company. Why, why do you want us to make shoes for girls dancing? Well, Arnold was a little upset at that, and he couldn't persuade Paul to get involved. Paul was saying, keep your eye on it. If it starts to grow, we'll, we'll take a look at it. So Arnold uh, decided he would go around to the back door and have a word with Steve Liggett. Steve Liggett was our production man. He did a better job with Steve. 
Okay. He managed to persuade Steve to get him 200 pairs of uh, samples. And uh, when he got those, off down to LA with them, gave them to the instructors and some of the leading girls who were sort of well-respected in this new aerobic scene. And all of a sudden, it took off. And then when Jane Fonda actually went out and bought a pair of Reebok uh, aerobic shoes to, to use in her workouts, in her workout videos, that's when it exploded. And it took us from $9 million. We were a nice, small running company doing $9 million. And in four years, we moved up to $900 million. Wow. That's what the women did for Reebok. That's amazing. I'm, I'm glad you guys were able to pivot, make that change. Many companies would have been like, really like, no, we're not, we're not getting out of that market. We're going to, we're going to, you know, so that was, That's that was right. great. But were you on board with going to the aerobic market or no? Was I on board? Did you agree with doing the aerobics back in the day? To be honest, I didn't even know about it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it was I all was... done back end. Yeah, I was in I was in the UK and I was now concentrating on global markets. Okay. So they they snuck this one in under the radar, and uh, well, it was a an incredible decision that was made there for the brand, you know, pivoting away from uh, running into aerobics. Wow. Uh, and it, and it gave us not only did it give us $900 million or almost from zero to a billion. Um, it changed the face of the company. That's and amazing. We, yeah. And we, we overtook Adidas, we overtook Nike, and we became the number one sports brand. Of course, Adidas and Nike, they were well recognized as being male, team, okay. sweaty. Yeah. We were a very small company. We, we hadn't really reached that level of being known throughout America as a brand. So Got when it. we, uh, to, to sort of, to pivot to becoming a woman's brand wasn't difficult. It was very difficult for Adidas and Nike to get into that brand and that uh, uh, product. So they stood back and they thought, no. Nah, I'm not going to make it. Right. It'll be a, it'll be a phase. It'll be over. It'll be nothing. And uh, yeah, who are this Reebok company as well? But uh, of course, they stood back too long. That's a great lesson learned in business. To you know, not you know, take a look at the opportunities that are out there and, and capitalize on those. So and uh, so that, that that's amazing. I I, uh, I, I know that uh, I'm actually I actually live in Chicago, uh, land area. So I heard that there's a connection with Reebok in Chicago as well. Oh, that's a big connection. Yes, that's uh, how do you how do you get into the American market, uh, especially when we don't have computers, and we don't have cell phones, we don't have the smartphones we have today. In fact, during my whole time with uh, with Reebok, I I stepped back in uh, 1990, beginning of 1990. We still didn't have computers. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. So when when we when we talk about how do we get there, how do we get to aerobics, uh, communication, you know, we didn't have satellites in those days. So communication, yes, by telephone, if you were lucky, if you could get a call in, because they they use wires on the Atlantic, the you know the, the transatlantic wires. So 
So these were all phone calls by wire. But yet you had to book a call. So you couldn't just pick up a phone and dial it. You had to book it through the uh, the people at the exchange. Okay. And, and if you were lucky, you would you'd get a call. Yeah, through. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, getting into America, I had one chance every year, and that was the NSGA show in Chicago. Okay. So that, that was me for... It, it wasn't in Chicago every year. It was in Chicago three years, and then they took it down to Houston for okay. one year. I don't know why they took it to Houston for one year, whether whether the whether the, the uh, McCormick Place, whether that was sort of booked up on everyone in four years by somebody else. I have no idea. But it was it was a welcome move because it was nice and warm down in Houston, whereas you... You're Chicago. You know what February in Chicago is like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like what am, what am I doing here? I still I still tell myself every day, which is which is crazy. But uh, family's here, so that keeps me here. So you know, obviously that, that that's the reason. Absolutely. I always stay. So. I, I first went there in 1968. Okay. In, in February, beginning of February 1968, and I actually we actually got into the American market in 1979. Wow. Okay. Eleven right. years. Wow. But, I say, when you think about it, you only get one chance a year. That's all you right. get. Right. Because if you if you live in America, you could move about quite easily. But we were over in uh, in Europe, in the UK. That was a an expensive and a, a time consuming flight. But uh, we eventually got in there. But I, during those eleven years, I had six failures. Oh six. wow. Big failures. I had six different distributors. We tried it. We didn't make it. Um, we had good product, but uh, it, it's convincing the people that your product is a good product when there's plenty of product on the market. Correct. And uh, we got in there because <coughs> in 1979, I don't know if you've heard of Runner's World. Runner's World. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Ro and so during the 70s, all the time when I've been going to America, uh, that magazine grew from being just a single page to a 70-page full-color magazine because, because the running scene was growing. It just growing fast. In fact, that's how, uh, that's how Nike really grew their business. They grew their business as a running company, and uh, it was growing really fast. So... Uh, by the end of by the end of seventy eight into seventy nine, uh, Bob Anderson, who was the editor of the magazine, he was so influential in those days that he thought he could tell everybody which was the number one shoe, and he did that for a couple of years. But the problem is, when you've got millions and millions of Americans out there running, and somebody tells you this is the number one shoe, what do you think happened? Right. It's like, you know, we don't agree with you, right? Well, they all wanted that shoe. All right. the runners wanted the shoe. Right. Which meant that uh, Nike, instead of doing half a million pairs a month, suddenly they want two million pairs a month. And production, just you just couldn't get the production. So it failed on two years because he, he did Nike first. I think he did New Balance or maybe Atonic, uh, maybe Ciccone, I don't know. But it, it certainly wasn't Reebok. Okay. But on the th on the third year, he 
he, he was obviously getting a lot of stick for this because it wasn't working. So he changed it from saying this was the number one shoe to star ratings. So five-star shoe, you could get four or five five-star shoes. So it wouldn't just be one shoe that was at the top of the heap. Uh, it could have been four or five. And then 1979, our Aztec uh trainer or sneaker our aztec shoe that got five stars oh, i also wow. got we also got five stars for a racing shoe and five stars for a, a spike track shoe so okay. we got five star shoes that gave us credibility that gave us credentials so all of a sudden from not being able to get into that market all of a sudden america you're wanted right, it. right. Yeah. you're at the top yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's america wanted and that's uh and that's when we got into the market and, and we started doing nicely as a, as a running company. So that's that amazing. was, yeah, like I remember, I remember being in school that, uh, your, your shoe, everyone had your shoe, including myself. I had a couple pairs and it was great. I had a quick question. I think uh, we're, we're down to two minutes. Uh, did the Reebok brand or logo always have union Jack on it? Cause there was, I saw a debate online. It's like, well, that's, that's interesting because they, we had the star crest. Okay. And the Starcrest, which is a logo you see on the on the tongue now, still still see the, that on the tongue. Uh, but Paul, Paul Feynman, he said, Joe, this Starcrest, it looks a lot like the Union Jack. Why don't we use the Union Jack? Will it be okay if we did that? And I said, okay, we can use the Union Jack, but we we will get killed in the UK. They'll the because the shoes being made in uh, Korea. We put the Union Jack on, they will kill us in the UK. And we, we did get a lot of uh, a lot of problems with that. But, you know, you don't look at it as a problem. All of a sudden, your brand is being seen a lot because people are talking about it. Why have we got this Union Jack on these shoes? Um, but the beautiful thing about the Union Jack is that, apart from having one on each shoe, the box, the lid of the box was also a Union Jack. But I did ask Paul, I said... Why the Union Jack? What's so uh, you know, what's so different from what we have? Well, he said, the Starcrest will cost us millions, millions to get people to do it. He said, but everybody in America knows the Union Jack. So, there you go. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So, just wanted to ask you, what would you like people listening today to know or remember about you or your business? Well, I, I'd like them to think that uh, the the Reebok story is a great story. Um, we, I think we, we got to the point where 60% of all Americans had bought a pair of Reebok in the, in the, <laughs> that's right. So, uh, I'd like people to think fondly of, uh, of the fact that it's, uh, Reebok it was a good brand in those days is now coming back because we're now with ABG and, uh, ABG are giving Reebok much more visibility now and Shaq O'Neal, Shaq is the one who's promoting the brand and, <laughs> bringing it back into basketball. So I'd like people to think fondly of uh, we're here. We're here to stay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mr. Foster. It's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to look up Joe Foster's book. Uh, book and I think he's coming out with a new one as well. We're, and, we're doing a new one, yes. Survive and Thrive is our new one, which is 20 different stories of people who have really survived something pretty difficult and, uh, and, and are now thriving as businessmen. That, that's incredible. Looking forward to reading that. Uh, follow Joe on Instagram. I follow him as well. 
and uh, looking forward to maybe talking to you again in the future, Mr. Foster. Been a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me, Dave, and uh, I look forward to meeting. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.